all. Uh, it's been a while since I've been here, and good to be back with you again. And I uh, just want to say how much I've enjoyed the service so far. I enjoyed the song service. Uh, I can tell you it's, it's a blessing to see all these young people here. Uh, over the last several months, I've been able to preach at several different churches around, and one thing is missing in all the churches, and that is young people. Well, the Lord's blessed you all, and you have young people, and so uh, just uh, it just thrills my heart to see all these kids here and see them all up here singing, so uh, just uh, that's, that's a blessing. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, and I want to read beginning with verse 23 and read down through verse 27. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And I want to call your attention to the phrase that's found in verse 27, where it says, What manner of man is this? And I'm going to use that for the title for the message tonight. What manner of man is this? So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the message tonight. Father, we thank you for this day and for your blessings upon us. And thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here at this special meeting. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless our time together. We've already been blessed with all the specials that have been brought to us, Lord. I'm thankful for that. We've worshipped you by the singing of these songs, and now we're going to worship you by hearing your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'll guide and direct, Holy Spirit, that you'll speak through me the words that you see are needed. And I pray, Lord, that you'll give listening ears to all who are gathered here tonight, that we will be able to take something from your word that's going to help us as we go about our day-to-day lives, as we see this one that the disciple says, what manner of man is this? So I pray, Lord, that all the honor and glory will go to this one, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask all these things in his own precious name. Amen. If you notice that at the beginning of chapter 8, if you look back at verse 10, it says, When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them. Now, the context here is, is that Jesus is talking about this Roman centurion and the faith that this man had. And it says here that Jesus marveled at his faith. That word marveled there just means that he was, he was amazed. He was impressed with this man's faith. And just, I just, when I hear that, it just makes me imagine Jesus being amazed at anything that mere men can do. But in that case, he was impressed with the faith of this Roman centurion. Well, I want you to notice that in verse 27... It says here that the men marveled. Now, what happened is, is that Jesus has calmed a storm. And this is the first time in the Gospels 
that we are told that the disciples responded when Jesus did a miracle. Now, this isn't the first miracle that he's performed, but it's the first time we really have a response from these men. In fact, so far, he's already healed a leper. He has already uh, healed a man who was paralyzed. He's already healed a woman who had some type of a disease that we don't know, probably maybe something like malaria or something like that. He's already cast demons out of someone. So he has done many miracles already. But in all the miracles that he has performed so far, as unusual as they are, and out of the ordinary, and their evidences of his supernatural power, in none of these miracles do we have any reaction on the disciples' part, any response that they made. We hear nothing of them, except for here in the passage we're going to look at tonight. You'll notice here that the disciples... Immediately after Jesus calms this storm, their response is, what manner of man is this? And it says that they marveled. That means that they were impressed with what he had done. Now, not to say that they weren't impressed when he did the other miracles. Most certainly they were. But there was something about this miracle that stood out that really caught their attention. So they, again, respond, what manner of man is this? Now, when you look at what Jesus has done, I mean, does, doesn't that just make sense? Isn't that reasonable? I mean, imagine if you're there and you witness what these men witnessed. This storm that is so severe that they think that they're maybe going to die. And all of a sudden, Jesus just tells the wind to stop, and immediately it stops. Now, When's the last time that you saw somebody in the middle of a tornado or a hurricane tell the wind to stop and the wind stopped? When's the last time that you witnessed that? Never. We've never seen anything like that. Imagine with the hurricane that just hit Florida a few weeks ago. If somebody would have stood there and those winds at 140, 150 miles an hour would have stood there and said, Wind, stop! And the wind would have suddenly just stopped and the storm was over. How would we respond to that? Well, we would respond like these men do here. We would marvel. We would be amazed. We would be impressed. Well, what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching that he is the one who has all power. That he is omnipotent. He has power over all of creation, including the natural realm. So... We're going to learn a valuable lesson here. And the lesson is, is whatever life brings us, whatever we face in life, whatever storms that we encounter, there is one that we can turn to. There's one that we can trust, and that is the king of all creation, Jesus Christ. So what I want to do tonight is I want to look closely at this miracle when Jesus calmed the storm and I want to see what manner of man is this. We're not focusing on the preacher behind the pulpit tonight. We're, we're focusing on the Son of God, the one who's mentioned here in this text. And we're going to see that whatever storms we encounter in our life, we have one who can calm that storm. So I want you to notice, first of all with me, the problem that these men faced. The problem that they faced. Again, look at verses 23 and 24. 
It says, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. So the problem is these men, as they travel across the Sea of Galilee, they encounter a storm, a great storm. A storm, as I just mentioned a minute ago, that these men thought, we, not, we might not survive this. This might be it. We might die in this storm. So that's a simple statement of what the problem is. Well, let's try to make an application to this. How do we apply this? What are we to learn from this problem that these men encounter? Well, first of all, we learn that all believers are going to encounter storms in our life. Now, some greater than others. You might be going through more storms, more difficulties than I am, or vice versa. But one thing that we can know for sure is, is that as the children of God, there are going to be storms in our life from time to time that we are going to face. No one is exempt from any of these storms. Now, in fact, if you just go back to verse 14 of chapter 8, you'll notice it says there, And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. So there Peter and his own family, his mother-in-law, it says that she was sick with a fever. Now, it doesn't say anything more than that, but I'm of the opinion that she was probably seriously sick, seriously ill, maybe even at the point of death herself. And the point is, is that Peter, in his own house, in his own family, he encountered a storm. He had to deal with affliction, of suffering. So God, in his providence, allows his children to get sick, just like people who are not his children, saved or unsaved, we all get sick, we all suffer afflictions. And a lot of times, these storms that come up, they come up very suddenly, and they come up without any warning. Just like they're on the Sea of Galilee. A lot of times, because of where it was located, you had the mountains on one end, the cool air from the mountains, and you had the warm air of the Sea of Galilee, and when the two would mix, you had the recipe for a storm. And so a lot of times, you'd have storms that would come up upon the people, well, this storm is one that is really unusual and that they haven't seen one like it before. But we, have, we see storms brewing up. Now, the same thing happens in our life. We have storms that come into our life. And a lot of times, suddenly and without any advance warning. Say you're at home and you get a phone call and your father has fallen. Your father's 92 years old and he's fallen and you go to the house and you help pick him up and, and get him back into bed and, and you think everything's okay. And then a couple of days later, he's still not really feeling well. So you take him to the, to the emergency room and they admit him. And you get a call the next day from the doctor that says, well, he's got bleeding on the brain. And there's really not anything we can do for him. If we do surgery, he's probably not going to make it through the surgery. And probably he's probably going to maybe have another week or two to live. That happened to me last December. My dad went through that. We got that phone call and thinking everything really was going to be okay, and then all of a sudden, suddenly, without any warning, we find out he's not going to live more than another week. And so that's what happens so often in our lives. Believers as well as unbelievers, we all 
Well, we all face these times. These times of affliction, of suffering, and a lot of times we're not prepared for them. So we learn, first of all, that even God's children are going to go through times of affliction and suffering. Secondly, Jesus led the disciples into this storm. Understand, they are in his will. They're doing what he has called them to do. Look back to verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. Jesus commanded these men. He told them to get in a boat. He told them, let's go to the other side. So they're not disobeying him. They are obeying. They're doing what he has called them to do. Doesn't that disprove the theory that a lot of people have that storms and afflictions and suffering come into a Christian's life because of their sin, because of their disobedience? Well, here we see the opposite of that. We see again that these men are not disobeying the Lord. They're doing exactly what he told them to do. And yet, they still faced this terrible storm. Now, it is true that sometimes difficulties come into our life because of sin, because of our disobedience. We know that that does happen sometimes. I think the prime example of that has to be Jonah. We all know the story of Jonah. Jonah was told by God, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to warn them of judgment that's going to come. Now, remember that Nineveh, they were the enemies of the Jewish people. And Jonah did not want to go and preach and warn these people of judgment. He didn't want them to repent and be forgiven by the Lord. And so what does Jonah do? He goes and he finds a boat heading the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. If Nineveh is to the east, Jonah's heading due west. So he's trying to run away from doing what God had called him to do. Well, what does God do? He sends a storm. The storm is for Jonah's benefit because he has disobeyed the Lord. So there's an example where the storm comes. Affliction comes because of our sin, because of disobedience. But it's not always that way. And that's the case here in Matthew chapter 8. We see here that this storm was sent because they were obedient. They were in God's will. So then you ask, then what is the point? Why did God send this storm? Why are they here in this life-threatening storm? Well, the Lord is demonstrating to them just who he is. He is showing them that I am truly the son of God. He's showing them I am the one who has all power. I'm omnipotent. I have power over all of creation. I am the one, the one who can deliver you from your troubles. I'm the one who can save your eternal soul. He does this to strengthen them in their faith. And we've got to keep that in mind because so often the difficulties, the afflictions that we face in life are for that purpose. To build up our faith, to strengthen us in our faith, to show us just who the Lord is. And he can be trusted. We can depend upon him and we can look to him, whatever it is that we're facing in life. 
So we learn that. Number three, we learn that Jesus was with them in the storm. Again, you notice verse 24, it says, And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, and so much of the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Now, you say, yeah, he was with them, but he was sleeping. Well, he was still with them in the boat. And he wasn't going to sleep the whole time. That just reminds us again of what the Lord said so often. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is that not the truth? It most certainly is. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And that means in the good times and the bad, the times of blessing and the times of affliction, whatever time it is, we have the promise that Jesus Christ is going to be with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Now, if you read Psalm 23, Psalm 23 is probably the favorite psalm of most people. Everybody is familiar with Psalm 23. And in that psalm, David writes, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Now, that's a promise that we claim, isn't it? That whatever it is, even when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we have the assurance that Jesus is going to be with us. Now, but not only is he going to be with us, but I want you to notice how that verse goes. He says, though I walk through the valley of the, what? The shadow of death. He doesn't say, though I walk through the valley of death, which would have been true. He says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And the reason I mention that is, is because David looked at death as nothing more than a shadow. Now, you don't have to be afraid of a shadow. A shadow will not hurt you. And I think that's what he's saying in this psalm, that death will not hurt you. You say, well, wait a minute now, preacher. I don't know if I agree with that. Death certainly hurts us because death takes our life. It takes us out of this world. Well, just let me remind you what happens when a believer dies. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So that's why death is nothing more than a shadow. Because what death does is it ushers us into the presence of God. It takes us to our eternal home. So that's why we don't have to fear even death. We had a funeral today for the oldest member of our church. She was 92 years old. And she, for a long time, every time I visited her, she kept saying, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. And she so desperately wanted to go. And finally this week she got that call to where she was to go home. But see, death wasn't something that she feared because she realized when death came, she was going to where she wanted to be. And we take a lot of comfort in that, a lot of comfort in that fact. I think of the, th the three Hebrew children there in the book of Daniel. They're in that fiery furnace. They're walking in that fiery furnace. But you know what? There's not just three. There's also a fourth one there. And this fourth one is the one who kept them safe. And you say, who is this fourth person there in that fiery furnace? The Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if those three had been killed in that fire, you know what? They would have been welcomed into glory by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But he saw fit for them not to perish at this time. He delivered them from that furnace. I think of Daniel later on in the same book. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel there with those lions that are looking to him as their meal for the night. But it's not just Daniel there and those lions. There's somebody else in that den. You know who that is? The same one who was in the fiery furnace. The Lord of glory. And if Daniel would have been killed by the lions, he would have been immediately ushered into the presence of the one who was there in that den. So here in Matthew chapter 8, the disciples are in a terrible storm. But Jesus Christ is with them. Yeah, he's asleep, but he knows exactly what they're going through. Now, sometimes, and I, and I think I'm pretty certain in saying this, that we all have times in our life when it seems that the Lord's asleep. It seems that the Lord isn't aware of what we're going through or that the Lord doesn't care what we're going through. Now, I'm not going to ask you to answer that, but I think if we're honest, we've all had times in the past when we get really down, when we're going through a really tough time, when we're suffering and there's a lot of afflictions, we're in a storm, and sometimes it's just like, Lord, where are you at? Don't you know, don't you see what I need? And so it's very easy for us to think that the Lord, well, the Lord is either not aware of what's going on or sometimes that he doesn't care. Well, we know that isn't true. Amen. We know that that is not true. Because the Lord is never asleep. He never slumbers. He always knows what it is that we're going through. See, he's our great high priest. And he right now is interceding on our behalf. Right now, right now, as I'm preaching this message, I believe he's praying for me as I stand here and preach. Every time someone stands behind this pulpit, I believe the Lord, our high priest, is praying. And he's praying for you that you'll listen and be attentive and get something out of the message. But he never sleeps. His eyes are always upon us. He's always in control. He doesn't need a wake-up call. Nothing is hidden from him. I think we learn that from this storm that we see here in chapter 8. Jesus cares for us. You say, well, how do you know that? How can you say with 100% assurance, how can you say that Jesus cares for us? Well, the best answer I can give you to that is look at the cross. If you're saved here tonight, God saved you by his grace, then I would say to you, whatever you doubt his care and his concern and his love for you, all you need to do is take a look at the cross and see the Son of God there dying on that cross, shedding his blood for you, redeeming you with his own precious blood, being your substitute, taking your place. And when you see that, you'll see just how much the Lord does care for you. He does care for you. Now, so what we learn is that storms are going to come even into the Christian's life. And a lot of times it comes when you're in his will. You're obeying him. And he does it to teach you, to strengthen you in your faith, and to show you that he does care 
for you. So that's the problem that these men faced. And then secondly, I want you to notice the plea that they make. The problem that they faced, now the plea that they make. Look at verse 25. And his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us, we perish. Now I want you to take note that these men in this life-threatening storm, what do they do? They do what everybody should do. They go to Jesus. They go to Jesus. Someone has said, character is revealed in the storm. The storm of life will either draw you closer to the Lord or drive you further away. But no one will emerge from the storm the same way they went in. You know, a lot of times uh, when a believer will go through a very difficult time, maybe they have a death of a loved one or, or there's some other affliction that they go through. Sometimes what they do is they will stay away from the house of God. They'll stay away from the people of God. When that's the very time when they need to be there with the people of God. And they need to come to the Lord. But for some reason, they want to stay away. Well, here are these men. They're in this storm. And they know what they need to do. They go to Jesus and they're going to wake him up. Now you have to understand, these men were fishermen, most of them. They were experienced fishermen. They were used to battling storms there on the Sea of Galilee. But there was something about this particular storm that was different. They'd never been in a storm like this. But they were exactly where the Lord wanted them to be so that they would turn to him. Now you notice the prayer that they utter. They say, Lord, save us, we perish. That's one of the shorter prayers in the Bible, isn't it? They didn't have time to utter a long, drawn-out prayer. No, they need immediate help. And so all they could say is, Lord, save us, we're about to perish. When I read that, I think of another storm that they were in. This time, Jesus wasn't with them. But he came to them walking on the water. And Peter, bold Peter, says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you. And what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. He does until he takes his eyes off the Lord and he begins to look at the waves and he looks at the storm. Then he begins to sink. And what does Peter do at that point? He prays a short prayer himself. In fact, it's shorter than the one we see here in Matthew chapter 8. His prayer is, Lord, save me. And that's exactly what he does. So when we look at this prayer, this short prayer, Lord, save us, we perish. Someone has said there's a contradiction in this prayer. By that, he means, Lord, save us is the language of faith. But we perish is the language of fear. So they had both faith and fear. You know what? I'm that way a lot of times myself. And I'm guessing you probably are too. Because so often our faith is mixed with fear. You see, you look at the storm, they fear. Look at the Lord, 
You have faith. You believe. Someone said fear is looking at God through your circumstances. Faith is looking at your circumstances through God. Now, these men really didn't have a reason to be afraid. I mean, again, this isn't the first time they've seen Jesus display his great power. They've seen evidences of this before. Now, maybe not to the multitude that they do here, but they've seen him display his power. But still, they still are afraid. Now, before we come down too hard on them, we need to realize that even the greatest of saints have times when we forget our Heavenly Father and his care for us. Now, we can point the finger at these men and say, well, they shouldn't have been afraid. Well, a lot of times we shouldn't be afraid either. And we doubt and our faith isn't what it should be because we get overwhelmed by our circumstances. So that is the prayer that they make. So how does Jesus respond to their request? Save us, we perish. Well, look at what he says in verse 26. And he saith unto them, now notice, why are you fearful O ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. You notice he rebukes them. Now, I, I think that they probably are a little bit confused as to why he reacts this way. He's rebuking them because they're afraid that they're going to die, and they're in this terrible storm, and it looks like they're going to die. They're probably thinking, well, why shouldn't we be afraid? Look at where we are. Look at what we are facing. But I think they probably were even more puzzled as to how Jesus could be so calm at a time like this. In fact, what is he doing while the storm rages? He's sound asleep. Sound asleep in the middle of this terrible storm. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 38... Mark says, and when he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Well, Jesus knew why they were afraid. In fact, he says it right here. He says it's because you have little faith. Now, I do want you to note that he didn't say that you have no faith. He said you have little faith. They had enough faith that they were following him. But they didn't have enough faith that he would deliver them from this storm that they were in. Turn back a couple chapters, if you would, to chapter 6 and verse 28 in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 6, verse 28. Now here Jesus is dealing with them over their Need not to worry. You don't need to worry. He says, And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? Now notice these next words. O ye of little faith. Isn't that exactly what he said over in chapter 8 to the disciples? O ye of little faith. You see, here's what's interesting. These men had enough faith to follow Jesus and believe that he could save them 
But they didn't have enough faith to believe that he could take care and meet their day-to-day lives and their needs. The same thing over here in chapter 8. These men had faith. They had enough faith to follow him, but they didn't have enough faith to believe that he would protect and provide them during this storm. Now, isn't that the way that we are a lot of times? We have little faith. We trust that the Lord can save our soul, but we're not so sure He can take care of us in our day-to-day lives. It was over in Mark chapter 9, I think it is, that there was a man who had a son who was possessed. He was foaming at the mouth. He'd been this way since he was a child. And Jesus was able to, was able to deliver him. And the man, in response to what Jesus is doing, this man says, I believe, Lord, help me in my unbelief. And man, I tell you what, that's me a lot of times. Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I think that describes the disciples. They who believed, but they needed help in their unbelief. So we see here that these men have a problem they faced. They plead with the Lord to save them, to deliver them from this storm. And then finally, we'll see thirdly, the power that Jesus displays. Look at the end of verse 26. Then he arose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Mark, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 39, says, he said, peace, be still. He speaks the word, and the storm stops. It it obeys the voice of our sovereign Lord. Now, the disciples shouldn't be surprised. At what he does. We as we read this should not be surprised. At what the Lord is able to do. And the reason I say that is because. The one. Who spoke everything into existence. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He simply spoke. And everything that there is in existence. He created. Just by his word. You go out here and look at all around us, and you look in the skies, and you look at the vastness of creation, everything that exists, Jesus Christ simply spoke the word, and it came into existence. Now, that is great power. But he's also the same one who speaks, and everything continues to exist, just like it was created. And one day, he's going to speak again and create new heavens and a new earth. All of this does nothing but display the great power that he has. And so why would we be surprised then that he could stop a storm that's brewing like he does here? You know, someone has said that if you believe Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, if you truly believe that, then you'll have no trouble believing Genesis 1-2 through Revelation 22 verse 21. If Jesus is able to do what Genesis 1-1 says... The rest of the Bible, anything there is not going to be a problem at all. Then notice verse 27. But the men marveled. They marveled. Which is an appropriate reaction. I mean, if we were in their shoes or their sandals or whatever they had, 
we would say the same thing. Our response would be exactly like theirs is. We would marvel. Mark, in his account, says that they feared exceedingly. You know what that means? That means they were really afraid. They were really scared, which I find interesting because these men were more afraid after the storm than they were while they were going through the storm. Just think about that for a minute. They're more afraid now that Jesus has stopped the storm than they were when they were going through the storm and they thought they were going to die because they have encountered deity. They have encountered a great power. They've encountered God himself and it calls them to be in great fear. You know what? Today, across our land, our churches, we need a return to the fear of God. There's not a lot of fear of God in our nation today. That's obvious by watching the news and see what's going on across our land. There's not a lot of fear in our churches today. And that's obvious because of what's going on across our, our land in light of everything that's happening in our country. We need to fear God. Now, I'm thankful that we can approach God. We have access before his presence. We are a part of his family through adoption, through our faith in him. He's our father in heaven. I'm thankful for all of that. But let's not forget that he's also the almighty sovereign God. And he's a God that we need to fear. And so that's what we see here. These men, after he calms the storm, they marvel. And their response is this. What manner of man is this? And so as we end tonight, I just want you to think about that. What manner of man is this? Who is this man? Who is this one who can do what he has done here in this passage? Now, if you're here tonight and you are not saved, I want to let you know that you are facing a problem. A problem much bigger than what the disciples face here in this account. Because you face a sin problem. You're facing an eternity in hell. That's much worse than being in a storm out on the Sea of Galilee. And the thing is, is there is nothing that you can do to solve your problem. There's nothing any of us here tonight, there's nothing that man himself can do to solve your problem. But I'm thankful there is one who can solve your problem. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who came to this world to go to the cross and die to save his people from their sins. To come to give his life for those that the Father gave him before the foundation of the world. In fact, if you're not, if you're not saved tonight, you can see what the request was in verse 25. Lord, save us, we perish. That's you if you're unsaved. That's what you need to do if you're unsaved. Lord, save me because I'm going to perish. And if you're here tonight and you're saved, you need to realize what manner of man is this? He's one that not only can save your soul, but he can deliver you from any of the storms that you go through in life. Emmanuel, you want to have revival? You need to believe in this one who has great power.
the one who has power to raise those who are dead spiritually and to raise them to life. He has the power that he can restore you, that he can uh, motivate you. He can come to you and meet any need that you have so that he can pour out his blessings upon this church. But you're looking to the one who is the sovereign one, the one who has all power. So what manner of man is this? The one who can deliver us from any storm that we go through in life. Brother John.